Got it. All right. Hello and welcome just a family. This is Melissa Kretschler and you're watching just a live TV or giving you something to talk about. I'm your host again, Melissa Kretschler. I'm an identity coach, spiritual teacher, business mentor, as well as creator and founder of just a live TV and the women supporting women can network. So today we're going to be talking about processing grief, a mother's loss, which absolutely is a hard thing to hear about a hard thing to learn about and more importantly, a hard thing to talk about. So we're going to be talking about that today. Today's episode is sponsored by Evolve Coaching. Now, Evolve Coaching is run and owned by our guest speaker today, and she is offering you a complimentary 45-minute coaching session where she's going to talk to you. Now, if you're feeling like you're in grief, if, if you're in the process of that, or if you just need some clarity, some confidence, and some courage to get where you're going, then go and check that out. Link in the descriptions. Um, and Speaking of that, I'm going to hand it over to our guest speaker today, who is none other than Margaret Dennis. Margaret, would you like to introduce yourself? Great. Uh, thanks so much, Melissa. Thanks for having me today. Um, yeah, my name is Margaret Dennis. I am a women's empowerment and grief coach. And I just, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. I work with women to create their best lives that are full of balance, passion, and purpose in a way that allows them to stay true to themselves. So I coach around relationships and business and career and, and, you know, self discovering self and identity. And I also coach around grief. Um, grief has been something I've been more and more passionate with over the last few years. Uh, a lot of it coming from my own experiences, but I think that there's so much that happens in grief and it gets pushed down, it gets uh, ignored, it gets put to the side because it's a really, really hard thing to feel and to go through. And I don't know, I feel like right now my purpose is to really help women who are going through grief to process it, move through it, move forward with it, but also helping them to create their new identity because after grief, you're never the same person. It could be a small event. It could be a major catastrophic event, but grief lives with you forever. So how do you then incorporate that into your life and move forward with it? So yeah, that's a bit about me. <laughs> Love that. I have a question about that. So I'm an identity coach. So I do similar to mm -hmm. uh, minus the grief. I do do grief if I have to, depending on what my mm -hmm. client in the moment needs. Um, but I do focus on identity and mindset and, and create mm -hmm. reconnecting to who you are. Right. And while you say it changes you, I agree. I think it changes, it changes your belief system. I don't think it changes who you are because being yeah. a wife, being a mother, um, and specifically to women, uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to specify for that for women, but again, we do talk to a lot of women, myself included, right? Um, mm -hmm. that's not who we are, right? It's a part of, it, it's a role that we take on that we love, that we embrace mm -hmm. wholeheartedly, uh, unconditionally, but it's not actually who we are at our core. But when mm -hmm. we become a mom, we kind of lose our sense of self in, in a little ways, right? When we become a mother, mm -hmm. when we become a wife, when we become a CEO or an entrepreneur, we kind of lose a little bit of that identity and we start creating yeah. the identity of, Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm so-and-so's mom. Or, hey, I'm Melissa, I'm so-and-so's wife, right? So we lose a little bit of that identity. And one of the things that I do work with, and, and processing grief is, is one of them, but is life crisis. So I call mm -hmm. it, instead of a midlife crisis, we have many life crises throughout our life, right? That's traumatic, right. that's, that's loss. Mm -hmm. um, when we 
um, retire, when our, when we have the empty nest syndrome, when, you know, we're going through something that's different than what we've spent the last 18 to 20 years focusing on the life crisis, right? Mm -hmm. So no matter where you are in that sphere, I think it's coming down to reconnecting to who you are, right? Because you've put so much of yourself into being a wife, a mother, a sister, a CEO or an entrepreneur or a businesswoman, whatever that Mm -hmm. looks like. We've put so much into that, that we kind of lose who we are. And when we go through a period of grief or we go through a loss of, of any kind, it really gets us to stop and, and we have to figure out who we are again Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. And we are always changing, right? Because we're made up of our loves and our desires and our passions and the things that piss us off and make us happy. It doesn't (laughs) matter. That's all part of who we are. Right. So it's reconnecting to that and, and learning how individually we heal. So do you find that with grief and, and loss specifically, that everybody heals differently, that everybody goes through yeah. that process differently. A hundred percent. Everyone, it, it, you may experience the same thing, right? You may both be women who've lost your partners um, or daughters who've lost their parents. You could still experience that same category of loss, but your individual experience of that is a hundred percent uniquely your own. Everybody processes deep grief in their own way. Some people can move through it fairly quickly. And I'm, and it's not that you move past it and it's gone, right? They just, they are able to move forward a little quicker. Others really get stuck in their grief because of whatever. Um, but everybody's experience is so different. So I talk, uh, I talk a lot about people coming up to you and saying, oh, I know exactly how you feel. No, you don't. You really, really don't. So anybody who's listening today, please don't ever say that to somebody who's grieving. You can say, I'm really sorry. I, I, I'm trying to understand how you feel. I know I've gone through something similar, but I really don't understand what you, how you're feeling. And, you know, I'm here for you. Um, but yeah, everyone, everyone's experience is so uniquely their own. And I think that that's something that we don't tell people, we don't share with people, we don't give them permission to grieve the way they want to grieve, to grieve the way it works for them. Some people grieve really quietly. Other people need to go and break a set of dishes, you know, like everybody grieves in a very different way. Um, yeah, and you, I think just giving people the space, the permission and the time to do what works for them to get through it is really important. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I do tell people, I'm one of those people who tell people I understand, but I'm, I'm, Mm. I don't do it in a condescending way. I understand Mm -hmm. and I can put myself in their shoes. I haven't lost a child other than through miscarriage and abortion. I haven't lost a child. And so I don't know exactly how it feels. But one of the reasons I'm good at what I do is because I can put myself into any emotional situation and Mm -hmm. understand and process how they're feeling. And that's, and again, Mm -hmm. that's what makes you and I so incredibly good at what we do, because we have that ability to say this happened and, and I'm very analytical. So as soon as somebody tells me, oh, this happened, I'm like, okay, how are you feeling? 
not in mm-hmm. a, okay, you're supposed to be good, but how are you like, honestly, how are you feeling? Right. And as mm-hmm. soon as they start talking to me about how they're feeling and, and how they're processing, even if they don't know they're doing it, I put those pieces mm-hmm. together and I'm like, okay, so this mm-hmm. happened, you've gone this route, you're in this stage for you, right? Cause you, you are right. Is mm-hmm. it is absolutely different for everybody because I'm so analytical. I go through that and I'm like, Hey, this caused you to feel this way. You think this, and that's causing this emotion. If you're feeling stuck, it's because of this thought. And so mm-hmm. I break it down. Right. And so I can mm-hmm. put myself into absolutely anybody's situation, whether I've gone through it or not. And it creeps people out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. It totally <laughs> creeps people out because they're like, how yeah. did you know I'm feeling like that? And it's like, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. That's, yeah. Just, that's me. Um, <laughs> that's okay. No. But again, no, I think um, part of what you touched on too is that when you say to somebody, "I understand," that's not the same way of saying I know exactly how you feel. I understand is very different from I know exactly how you feel. I understand is showing empathy right? You are exactly what you said. You're putting yourself in that, in that person's position and you're trying to understand, or you do understand how they feel. You don't know exactly how they feel because you can't feel it, but you understand. And empathy is a huge, huge factor in people being able to heal and move forward with grief. Feeling understood. They, you know, they'll know that you don't know exactly how it feels, but the fact that you've said, I understand goes a long way. Yeah. It does go a long way. And empathy is really, really important. And, and I like, I like the way you put it with the analytical though. I really yeah. like the, that. Uh, explanation. <laughs> it's, it's, it's annoying at times, not going to lie, but <laughs> it, makes, it makes me an expert in, in, in mindset, right. And emotional well-being mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. everything that we do comes down to our emotional well-being. Well, our emotional well-being is created by our thoughts. It's created by our mm-hmm. beliefs. Right. So if we believe that a certain situation is going to affect us a certain way, we react that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, for me, I've lost a lot of loved ones, Um, grandparents, cousins, friends. And I've I've always been a very like I'm I'm very emotional when it happens. You know, I'm usually down and out and very upset Mm -hmm. and and can't talk about or think about the person for, you know, a little while without breaking down crying. And that's a normal, natural response. But I'm very quick to process. And that's Mm -hmm. um, again, I've actually been called cold hearted because of my ability to process so quickly. And but when I lose an animal. (laughs) (laughs) this is crazy when I lose an animal I'm I'm out for weeks like I can't even think of the animal without bawling my eyes out right Mm -hmm. um which is Mm -hmm. totally strange but um but if it came to my children or my husband that would be like that that's game over right that's Mm -hmm. that's unexplainable the the pain of of doing that and again it is different for everybody I can't my greatest fear in life and I don't fear many things my greatest fear is losing my husband and my children. That is the only thing Mm -hmm. that I truly fear. And that thought has kept me up at night, Mm -hmm. right? Because I can put myself into that position. I can think about if that happened, my, my brain will put me into that emotional state of I've already lost them. And Mm -hmm. it's devastating. Yeah. Right. Um, 
so I can only imagine in the actual moment, right, how that how that person would truly feel. I understand mm-hmm. it. I understand the processes. And I understand what my feelings would be. And this is where I'm going with this. I understand what my feelings would be. I think when we say we understand, a lot of people say they understand, but they're understanding from their perspective. They're Mm -hmm. understanding from where they've been or where what they would do, right? Where Mm -hmm. when we say that everybody processes differently, again, you can have two people who have, and and I like to use this example, you can have identical twins grow up in the same household Mm -hmm. with an abusive alcoholic parent, right? One becomes an alcoholic and abusive. The other one never touches a drink in their life. Mm -hmm. Same exact people, right? Except for the the mind, right? Same experiences, completely different outcomes Mm -hmm. because they process differently. right grief is the same way it is it is and it's um it's interesting because it is something that we all process differently but it's also something that we've never been taught how to process either so we're left trying to figure it out on our own you know you get the you know, the well-wishing neighbors and family members, if it's a loss of, if it's a death, then, you know, if death and family, you get a lot of people that for support. Um, and then they'll be like, oh, you know, maybe you need to go to therapy or maybe here's a bereavement group that could be helpful for you. And they shuffle you off outside of the social circle so that you can deal with it in private away from other people so that your feelings of grief, which are make other people really vulnerable and uncomfortable, they don't have to witness that. And so by the process of making it more of a secretive, uh, isolated recovery, I guess, is, I don't know if that's really the right way of explaining it, but a lot of people who are grieving are dealing with it on their own. Number one, because they're the only ones who know how they feel. But number two, our society doesn't make it really acceptable for people to really talk about it. Like six months after you've lost your husband or your partner or your child or your parent, people think you're weird. If you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm still having a hard time getting out of bed or I'm still really, you know, thing, little things trigger me and make me cry. They don't want to know that. They don't want to know that you're still struggling. They don't want to know because for a lot of them, a lot of people, it's reflected back on them and they think, oh my goodness, if that ever happened to me, is it going to be that bad? Is it going to really hurt for that long? Am I going to go through the same thing? And they don't look at it from the person who's grieving perspective. It becomes a very selfish perspective. But that's just the way we're wired. That's just the way people are, right? You always put it back to looking at it from your point of reference and from where you're standing. But it happens in a split second, right? You know, someone says that to you and you automatically have this reaction, but you don't necessarily know where it's coming from. All you know is, ooh, I'm not feeling really comfortable about this. Yeah. And uh, yeah. not only that, but you think six months down the road when you've lost somebody, right? Everybody comes out of the woodwork, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's a missing person, whether it's a loss, whether it's a divorce, whether it, anything, right? People come out of the woodwork because they want to know. We're, we're inherently nosy individuals. I'm absolutely <laughs> and utterly nosy. I'm nosy as hell. I want to know everything. I want to know absolutely Mm -hmm. everything going on in people's lives. I don't care what it is. I want to know, but it doesn't mean I want to make it about myself. Right. And a lot of the times when we want to know, 
it's a nosy response. It's Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Like they, they want to be involved. It's, it's an, there's an energy about it. People kind of are mm-hmm. attracted to, and it's unconscious, subconscious, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. So nobody feel guilty if you do it, because it is, it is a very un, unknown reaction. Um, mm-hmm. But six months down the road, even three months down the road, they're over it. Mm-hmm. right so I think that's where it's not just the reflection of what if I went through that it's why are you still unhappy why are you still sad like why is this still bothering you they're over it and mm-hmm. even when it actually happens and this is the problem that I find is that a lot of the times when people have have suffered a loss or even a diagnosis of an mm-hmm. illness or or injury right everybody comes out of the woodwork and then they're right there and it's all about how they would feel. So if somebody comes up to you and for anybody watching, please listen to this. If you go up to somebody and, or if I went up to somebody who experienced a loss and I said, you know, um, how are you feeling? Is there anything that I can do? What do you need from me? Like, do you need anything from me? How can I help you? Right. It's very much about that person's needs. Because mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to, we automatically think that we're going to help however we would expect help, but that doesn't work when mm-hmm. we're, when somebody is in the process of grief or processing grief, we need to ask them, what do you need? And if they don't know, say, okay, if you think of anything, let me know. Otherwise I'm just here to listen. Right. And that's mm-hmm. not putting our own thoughts into it. Not, you know, oh, they're in a better place or, or anything like this, you know, while those are really awesome things to think, they don't help in the moment. Yeah. They, yeah, they really don't. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I can turn, and I've, I've said this before and people kind of, again, look at me funny because I have a different mentality. I can turn death into a positive. Mm-hmm. I can turn any negative experience into positive growth. And you've done that you had a very traumatic negative loss Mm -hmm. and you've turned that into a positive because it happened. We can't change that it happened. Right. But eventually we can go through to kind of figure out how, how are we going to use this? How are we going to use it to help other people? How are we going to use it to help ourselves? How are we going to honor the person that we've lost and really just honor their memory and and the time that we had when we lose somebody one it reminds us of our of our mortality mm-hmm. number one we go through life thinking we're immortal and we're not we have a mm-hmm. more we have an end date <laughs> we yeah. might not know it but we all, <laughs> we've all got that end date and i've talked to people who have been diagnosed with cancer and i and i haven't done this episode yet and i'm i'm waiting to have this episode Um, I've almost had it a few times where people who have been diagnosed with cancer, it changes their entire outlook, heart attacks, cancer, um, any life threatening traumatic event has changed their entire outlook in life to the point where now they're enjoying life. Now they're, you know, striving to make the time that they have matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's one of the, that's one of the things we can take from death. Right. And we can change the way that we look at it. So I'll let you add on to that. 
<laughs> as, you feel, as you feel inclined. Uh, yeah, no, it is, it's really, I think it's how you approach it and everybody will approach it in their own way. I think it's amazing that you can look at it and take death and look at it in a positive. I try and do that as well. Um, you know, what lessons can you learn? What can you be grateful for? What did, you know, what can you take forward with you? Um, how has it helped you to grow? Uh, and if you get a diagnosis like cancer, I've heard that a thousand times where people's perspectives, all of a sudden it strips away all the crap and you're left with really, truly what's important. And when you lose somebody, that happens too, right? When you, when you lose a spouse or a child or a parent, your life gets put into a different perspective. You really do look at things differently. And you like, I, I think you like to hold on to that too. And you're like, wow, I'm in this new perspective and I feel better. Like I feel different and I myself, myself but with a different perspective, a different outlook on things. And I think then we start going along in life again. And sometimes we get caught up in the old stuff and we forget to go back to that place. So I think really when we have that experience and that epiphany and that awakening, I guess, it's really important to hold on to that and to remember that because it's so easy to get caught up in all the crap again. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I am just messaging my husband. He's downstairs. So for most people watching or catching the replay, you'll know my husband dislocated and broke both his ankle or his ankle um, yes. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So he's downstairs and I just told him literally, I, I want him to jump on the show so that he can hear what I have to say. Um, my, my husband, um, and I both lost our fathers, um, mid to, to late teens. We both lost our fathers and it's interesting when we're talking about how we take that loss and how we use that loss, there are people who don't get that lesson right away. Mm -hmm. where instead of thinking about, you know, um, the time that I have left, the time that we had, how great it was and, and our mortality, um, some people will hold on to that anger. And mm -hmm. when you hold on to that anger, you forget how it felt, right? You forget how the good before felt. You mm -hmm. focus on the good before, but you focus more so on the loss. You're not focusing mm -hmm. on the good times that you had, right. what's moving forward, um, and, and realizing your mortality. So for somebody like myself and my husband, I were smokers and, um, I lost my father when I was 16 to emphysema and I was 16. I, you know, I was, we weren't close. We barely spoke. So it was like, a, you know, I was still hurt. Obviously it was my dad, but at the same time, it wasn't as, emotionally charged as say my husband mm -hmm. my husband had an amazing relationship with his father and his father passed away from cancer and I look at it now and I think about not only you know my life and my parents and his life and his parents but if our children were to lose us in the next five ten years which is basically what what my husband and I experienced how are they going to feel right mm -hmm. when you lose a parent, especially when you lose a parent, 
you can sit there and think, you know, oh, like, why did this happen to me? Why did they take them? What, you know, and, and just live in that agony of, of losing a parent. And then later on, you turn it around and start to think like, I have kids now, right? We didn't have any of our kids when our fathers passed mm-hmm. away, of course, 16 and, and mm-hmm. 18 <laughs> doesn't really work. Um, but now to think about it, if we followed in those footsteps, let's say our time was coming to an end and we ended up, like I said, passing when our children are 16, 18, how are they going to take that? How are they going to feel? Are we maximizing what time we have with our children, especially knowing that we lost our parents young, mm-hmm. right? How are we promoting that relationship? Do we want them to live with the relationship we have with them now? And, and that's why I said grief can cause those thoughts. They can cause mm-hmm. that, that altered awareness of how do I want my kids to think of me when I pass? Right. How do I want to, do I want people to know who I truly am? Do I want to enjoy what time I have? Do I want to leave them with happy, healthy memories of a great relationship? Or Mm -hmm. is it something that, you know, I've been so caught up in my own anger and my own hurt that, and my own life, because we get caught up in life all the time. Um, have I not done any of that? Have I not created those relationships, created those memories? And it really just gets you questioning. So mm-hmm. <laughs> would you like to tell people your story? What, what, what made you, unfortunately, <laughs> an expert in grief? Sure. Um, so uh, 13 and a half, almost 14 years ago, I had twins a little boy, Isaac, and my daughter, Lily. And they were born very, very early. We had gone through six years of infertility and fertility treatments. And this was the absolute last effort. We went through IVF and I got pregnant with twins and we were super excited. And then I went into labor when I was five and a half months pregnant. And we knew it was a high-risk pregnancy. I had already been on bed rest and they couldn't stop it. So the twins were born. And my daughter was fairly stable uh, and our son was not. And at three days old, he died. We made the decision to take him off life support. He was in a lot of pain. He suffered a grade four brain bleed. We knew that his life would not be one of fun and joy and laughter. We were told by all the doctors because we consulted all the doctors. There was no way we were making a decision without all the information. And we were told point blank his life would be really, really hard. So we chose to let him decide. Um, And we took him off life support. And I think he survived about half an hour and we got to hold him and say goodbye. Um, But we had struggled for a really long time to have kids. So it was, you know, these are our, our, our two, two babies that we were gonna have and make our family in. So when we lost our son, it was devastating. But I was also put into a position where I now had another child, my daughter, who was on life support as well, um, very stable, but I had to be there for her. So I, you can't, it's very difficult to grieve and love. Like it's a very difficult to process the grief when you're focusing on loving and supporting your other child. So I didn't really deal with it. I cried. Um, Absolutely. I was sad. I was devastated, but I put all of my effort onto 
looking after my daughter. I was in the hospital with her for six and a half months before we were able to bring her home. Um, so it was a pretty devastating time for us, um, processing the grief. Like we didn't have a funeral, we weren't religious, but we did have a reception. And like you said, when all the people come out of the woodwork, I was absolutely shocked, floored, and so deeply grateful and felt so much love when we did the reception. We did a reception a week after they were born. The people who came out to support, um, I got a lot of casseroles. I found I got a lot of casseroles and I think that was just people's way of of saying hi we don't know what to do for you so we're just going to make you something to eat and I think that's just normal for our cultures they want to do something but they don't know what to do uh, we got a lot of stuffed animals and so I still have a box of stuff that's his and the hospital gave us some things too and there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about him um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't look at my daughter and wonder what her life would be like if her twin had survived and what the two of them would be like. So as I mentioned, I didn't really process the grief. I felt it, I cried, but it was really more painful than I ever thought it would be. So I just didn't deal with it for a long time. Um, but I was always very open with my daughter. I didn't want her to find out at 16 that she'd had a brother or a twin brother because I just thought that was really unfair. So before, like, well, I was, you know, holding her in the in the rocking chair before she was even verbal she knew she had a brother and we talk about him all the time and it wasn't until she was about three and a half four when it really dawned on her and I remember her looking at me and she went mommy Isaac's dead right like he's and I said yeah and she just collapsed absolutely collapsed sobbing because the realization dawned on her and so I've always created a really open relationship with her around grief and allowed her to talk about it, allowed her to express it, allowed her to ask questions. And it was actually really therapeutic for me because I got to grieve along with her, but in a way that was my way, but also her way. And for anyone listening, children know how to grieve. They innately know what to do to grieve that is the best thing ever. And as a society, as we get older and more subject to the rules where emotions that are really vulnerable and scary and negative and sad and all those icky feelings, we're told not to express those. Whereas children, they just do. And it's, it's pretty incredible to watch. And so last year I had the opportunity to do a TED talk and I wanted to talk about grief and I talked about what I learned about grief through the eyes of my child. And I talked about Lily's experience and all the things that I learned from her. And the, the things that I noticed is that she was honest and real and really fierce in how she expressed her grief. And as a result, my daughter, who's 13, she'll be 14 in a few months. She's one of the most empathetic, caring, loving, amazing girls and children she's so much wiser than beyond her years like you know when you say you've met an old soul she's very much an old soul but she grew up with grief right she knew grief from day one they were in utero together they they were together from the ex, like the very beginning and so as a twin yeah the, the twin bond is really strong my best friend is a twin and the story she's told me about how her and her sister are connected just blow me away all the time and I knew that my daughter would feel that and wonder what was missing you know like 
mom, I don't, you know, I didn't want her to go through life wondering how come I feel kind of empty and partly missing something. And because she is right. Her brother's, her brother's up in heaven, if that's what you believe. And we always talk about him being in heaven, but we have had so many family members go before me, right? Like all of my grandparents are up there and my uncle who my daughter has his last name as her middle name. And he died three months before she was born. So we wanted to honor him. And so when we talk about him, we talk about what is he doing up there, right? Is he playing soccer? Is he playing hockey? Cause I know my uncle's really sporty and he's looking after them. And we, the way we've kind of processed it is that she's getting looked after down here and he's getting looked after up there. And so they're neither one of them are alone. And it's made it a way for us to talk about him, made it a way for us to keep him alive in our minds and our hearts. And for the longest time, I didn't talk about him and people really didn't talk to me about it either. I think they were worried about bringing up the feelings, right? When you lose a child, that's people are like, they really don't know what to say to you. Um, and it wasn't until I started talking about it based on my daughter's, you know, example, <laughs> um, it kind of opened the door for the people around me to start talking about it too. And through that process, we've all been able to heal around losing Isaac, right? Like I, I think for the longest time, I wasn't even aware how much the people around us were grieving too, because they were there cheering us on. They'd watched us struggle to have kids. And, you know, my parents, they knew what, it, you know, as our, our parents know what it's like to have children because they had us. And so now they've lost, they know what, you know, they can only imagine what their, their child is going through, having lost a child, but also they've now lost a grandchild. My daughter lost a brother. We lost a son, you know, his future best friends have lost a best friend that they didn't even know was out there. So there's all these relationships that are entangled, all that could have been. And so, yes, you do go down that, that rabbit hole of what could have been, what could have been. I tried really hard not to, I allowed myself some time to just go there because I think it's really important to just honor those feelings and honor those thoughts and allow yourself to really, really grieve that loss. Like one of the things I found that has been really, really pivotal pivotal in my own healing with grief is really just acknowledging the feelings when they come up feeling the feelings giving myself some time to cry and journal and dance around the kitchen screaming or whatever it is that I feel at that time will help me release whatever's inside so it's not such a pressure cooker of emotions right um but also being able to be open and honest. There was a long time people would say to me, oh, you know, how many kids do you have? And I would always say one. I don't say one anymore. I say two. I have two because I do. Only one's just not here. But my daughter, right, right from the beginning, as soon as she found out, she told everybody. Not that she would announce it, but if people asked, she had no problem talking about it. We, we were at the grocery store one day, and I think she might have been eight maybe nine. I don't know. I think she must've been seven or eight. And the cashier, you know, they always make conversation with the kids. They're like, Oh, do you have any brothers or sisters? And she's like, yeah, I had a brother, but he died. Well, you can just imagine the cashier went sheet white, yep. didn't know how to respond. And then I found myself in a situation where I was trying to make the cashier feel better. And I'm like, there is something really wrong in our society. When the person who was grieving is trying to make the person 
who isn't <laughs> feel better about what they just said. And it's not that, you know, and that's just normal. That's just the way we are. We're protective. Right. And I, I always, I said to her, I'm like, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It was like eight years ago. It's all good. But I thought I shouldn't have to comfort her. And, but our society hasn't taught people how to react to that either. Right. When someone says to you, Oh, I lost a child. We're speechless. Like, how do you come back to that? You don't like it. And, it, and I'll be honest, when other people have told me they've lost a child, I feel it. Um, and from my own perspective, but I would never say to them, I know exactly how you feel. I can say to them, I've experienced that myself and I can just imagine what you're going through. Yeah. Right. That's um, usually my go-to because I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you during the Ted talk the last year really was extremely healing and therapeutic for me because I thought I was dealing with my grief. <laughs> no, apparently there was still a lot inside that needed to come up and it was probably the best thing I could have done. And it gave me a whole different perspective on how to heal from grief. It really, it catapulted me right into the world of grief. Um, at Mach 50, like I, I was not in it. And now I'm like eye teeth into it. And all I want to do is help other women get through it and not just get through it, be strong, move forward, create a life for themselves where they don't feel guilty for moving on. Cause I think that's huge for so many people. They feel like if they've lost a spouse or a child, if they start moving forward and they smile and are happy that for some reason they're dishonoring the memory of the person that passed. And I'm here to tell you ladies, and you're not, you're not, they wouldn't want you to, they wouldn't want you to, and you're not here to live in mourning, wearing black for the rest of your life. Not saying it's not going to be easy. It's, it's not easy moving forward. I think so many people feel that if they're moving forward, they're going to forget, you know, I, I know I might forget, you know, this, that, or the other. Well, we'll work on ways that you can remember. That's one of the things I do with the women when I yeah. work with them. Is what do you want to remember? What do you want to bring with you? And, and what really do you want to forget? And it's okay to leave some of that behind because you need to, to move forward. So yeah, well, that's my story. It's like going that's through the closet, <laughs> right? It's like going through the closet. Or, you know, even when our kids come home, I know when my kids come home at the end of the school year, they bring all of their creations home. Oh, oh my goodness. Go <laughs> all of them. Through, yeah. Right. And I have to go through and I'm like, hmm, which ones touch me and which ones don't. Right. Mm -hmm. Which ones are important and which ones aren't. And I go through right. and I pick and choose. And I've told my daughters, I said, you know, like, I can't keep everything. I'm going to mm -hmm. keep my favorite ones. You can keep your favorite ones. And then we'll let the rest go. Right. Mm -hmm. And we processing grief. Number one for me is feeling it. Mm -hmm. And we don't do enough. I'm, I'm huge on emotions and mm -hmm. me too. Feeling the grief. Like so many people try to ignore it or push it aside or, or whatever it is that doesn't help in the slightest. Mm -mm. that makes you think you're okay and then at the end of it like your tech head talk where you think oh I'm good nope hello yeah. we're not and yeah. it, you go through that so processing grief number one first and foremost is feel whatever you're feeling let yourself feel mm -hmm. it now 
it's harder to avoid letting it consume you when you, when it's new, when it's fresh, when you haven't learned how to process it. Um, it, it's hard to not let it consume you. So if it consumes you, let it, let it do what it needs mm-hmm. to do. let yourself grieve yeah. the way that you need to grieve. Um, second thing when it comes to grief is understanding that it does get easier and it doesn't get easier because you don't feel it as much. It gets easier mm-hmm. because you learn how to feel it. And the pain of losing a child, a partner, a parent, that doesn't go away. It doesn't just mm-hmm. completely go away. We will forever be able to access that pain. But what we do with it, how long it lasts, you know, if you think of a loved one who's passed away and immediately you get that twinge of pain, just like that mm-hmm. shock wave of pain, mm-hmm. feel it. And then you notice as it keeps going, that shock wave of pain it slows, right? And then it goes, and then you start thinking of the pleasant things. You start thinking about, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I really miss doing this with you. And I really miss doing that with you. I love that you taught your daughter, not even taught her, but told her, right? And allowed her, children do have it right. I saw a child the other day, went to a pool party and this little girl comes in and she's so cranky. She was so angry. And um, I'm standing there and everything everyone was doing she was having none of it like you didn't go near her you didn't talk to her the dog wasn't allowed to touch her like she was just full-blown temper tantrum because she was tired and I'm sitting there and I'm like you can be as mad as you want to be absolutely as mad as you want to be do you want to be left alone and she was just like oh the eyeballing I was getting right like I was getting the full-blown cranky I don't know you and I don't look right now it's like (laughs) It got me thinking. And when our kids are younger and when they're going through a stressful time, because kids have it worse than most of us, mm-hmm. um, when they're going through a stressful time, you're right. They do. They embrace that feeling and they let themselves feel whatever it is they're feeling. And that's great. And that's how they, that's what they should be doing. That's what mm-hmm. we should be doing as adults is allowing ourselves to feel whatever it is that comes up for us. The mm-hmm. difference is, is that we need to teach them how to control the actions. Mm-hmm. it's not the feelings we need to control yes eventually we need to you know be able to feel it without any reaction right because emotion is a reaction we don't need any follow through to that reaction so feel whatever it is you're feeling but keep it in not keep it in as don't express it don't you know if you need to cry cry if you need to paint angrily or go do boxing lessons whatever that looks like go do it as long as you're not hurting anybody else And that's what we teach kids, right? My daughters know you are absolutely 100% allowed to be mad at me. You're allowed to Mm -hmm. feel like screaming. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to vent. You're allowed to do whatever you want to do, but you are not allowed to take it out on me, Mm -hmm. right? You need to learn how to control the actions Mm -hmm. of, of those feelings. And grief is the same way, right? We learn to let the emotions out, express them in a healthy way, right? Because we do need Mm -hmm. to express them. When you're filled with that energy, people talk about being high vibe. Grief Mm -hmm. is high vibe. Mm -hmm. It is a high vibrational energy that is sucking away all of your energy. Yep. Right. And you will crash. You will crash Mm -hmm. guaranteed. 
So you have to learn how to take that energy, take those emotions and express them, whether that's through art, music, crying, uh, talk therapy, boxing, swimming, whatever that looks like, you have to learn what your way of expressing those emotions are and, and expelling some of that mm-hmm. energy. Yeah. And then you start. Yeah. Well, I learned, I had, a, I was talking to a colleague um, a few weeks ago, actually, and she talked about a process that she does with her clients. And I told her, I'm like, I'm totally stealing this from you. And by all means, feel free to use it yourself. But she calls it room to grieve. And so it's um, basically, it gives you yourself the time, just a short amount of time, you know, five minutes, go into a small, a little powder room, a closet, somewhere where you can close the doors, close the blinds, make it private. Just give yourself, put a timer on for five minutes and just let out whatever emotion you're feeling. You cry, you want to cry, cry. And you'll fill that room and that small space up with that energy. And you know, when kids finish crying and they have sort of do that, (sighs) they're sort of released. You'll get to that point too. Now you may cry for 90 seconds. You may cry for the whole five minutes. You may yell and scream for those five minutes, whatever emotion it is that you are feeling the urge to release, do that. And when the timer goes off, take a deep breath, open the windows, open the doors, release what you've just put out there and then continue on. Now you, at the beginning, you may need to do that five, 10 times a day maybe. And as you move through it, every time you release a little bit more and release a little bit more and release a little bit more, that's when you start getting to the point where you're like, okay, now I feel like I have a little bit more control over it. Now I feel like I can be more specific in how I'm directing my energy, like I'm doing the angry painting or doing the, you know, it just, because when you're in the very initial stages of that grief, it's overwhelming. And really your brain takes over, right? It's, it can be very subconscious reactions. You really don't control all the chemicals that are released in your brain and you hit that grief brain stage where, you know, you don't sleep well, you don't make good decisions. It's kind of like having mommy brain after having a baby where your hormones are all over the place. It's the same thing with grief. In the initial stages of grief, you get grief brain where you're really not thinking straight either, but you are overwhelmed with emotion. And so I thought she calls it room to grieve. And I thought that is just such an amazing concept to give people the outlet to grief and so it's um yeah i would i would recommend it to people if they're really struggling with feeling like it's gonna bubble over bubble over bubble over because i know i've been there and i think we've all been there at some point where you just feel like a pressure cooker and if anybody touches you wrong or looks at you funny or says the wrong word or tries to be sympathetic it's just gonna that that's gonna be sort of that straw that broke the camel's back So giving yourself that time to, and it's a set time. So for those people who feel like I'm going to start crying, I'm never going to stop. Well, you got a timer to remind you, right? And yeah, you may cry a lot, but you will stop. You will stop either out of exhaustion, you will stop, or you'll just release what needs to be released at this time. And then it'll stop. So yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody who's who's feeling that way, you have options. You have grief mm-hmm. counselors, you have people like Margaret and I, you have 
there's so many people out there. Find people who aren't going to tell you what to do or tell you what you should be doing. Find people who suggest things. Mm -hmm. Say, have you tried this? Would you be interested in trying this? Like, right. And just giving you the options for you to figure it out on your own, because ultimately your grief, you do have to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And only you can say what techniques or what tools or what practices are going to help you Mm -hmm. move forward. Now you have talked about empowered grief. I kind of browsed your website quickly before Mm -hmm. the episode. (laughs) So what is empowered grief? Empowered grief is when you get to a state where you feel more in control. You've actually acknowledged your grief. You recognize what it is. You recognize how it feels in your body. And you come up with a game plan of, okay, so say I'm in the conference room, I'm leading a meeting. And all of a sudden I'm feeling this overwhelming sense of grief. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle that? You've got techniques in place to do that. And the empowerment comes a lot from really taking back control and not letting the emotion take over you. And it allows you, it it gets you to a point where you recognize it, you can identify it, you make friends with it, you could even name it if you want, you know, call it Wally, it doesn't matter, right? Like Wally's come to visit, whatever works for you, but it gives you a place where you feel like, okay, I know I'm going to be living with this for a really long time, but now it's going to be on my terms. I'm going to be the one to determine how I'm going to, you know, that outlet that I'm going to use. And when I'm feeling really crappy, I'm going to go paint or I'm going to go meditate or I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to call Sally or I'm going to do whatever it is that I'm going to do that's going to make me feel better. And it gives people also the permission, I think when you're in an empowered state, to show compassion for themselves and recognize that they're human and that they are going to feel these feelings. And also gives them permission to feel whatever feelings come up. It may not be sadness. Maybe you're like so angry or you're frustrated or you feel shame or guilt or relief even, right? Say you had an abusive partner who passed away. There's a lot of women who've had abusive partners who passed away who, yeah, they might be sad, but they're also really relieved, but then they feel guilty for feeling relieved. And so a lot of the building in that empowerment is, is giving permission to all of those feelings, right? And not judging or shaming or, or putting any expectations about how they're supposed to grieve and what that process is supposed to look like and really giving them back the power to be themselves, to really honor their emotions. And as women, we're an emotional creature. We are wired in our DNA to be emotional. We're the nurturers, we're the caregivers. And so when we feel emotions, I don't know about you, but when I'm angry, I cry. When I'm sad, I cry. When I'm happy, I cry. Like I am a crier. So it doesn't really matter what emotion I'm feeling. It's coming out as tears. And it's hard sometimes when you're trying to be taken seriously and you're like, ignore my tears. Uh, Just don't, you know, like I'm really happy or I'm really sad or I'm really angry. But I think women have associated tears with a sign of weakness, right? Society says, oh, when you cry, you're weak, right? Well, it's not. Feeling your emotions is a power. Feel them, embrace them, allow yourself to be that person that works through the emotions and that you're doing it for yourself so that you can be very empowered 
person. And I do a workshop around that too, about it's called becoming an empowered grief warrior. And it takes people sort of, you know, takes the women through a mini 90 minute session where we sort of go through what's grief and, and we do some journal prompts and we try and envision what that person on the other side of grief is going to look like. And then when they come and coach with me on a longer term, we go really deep into all of those areas. But that empowerment just, it allows women to feel stronger in their grief. It really does. It gives them a sense of, I'm not at the mercy of what's happened to me. I've taken it. I've embodied it. It's become part of who I am. And now it's a strength that I carry with me. And that's really where the empowerment comes from. I, I laughed at the crying when angry. Um, <laughs> if I get to a point where I'm that angry that I'm crying because I've gotten to that, you need to run. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the funny part, right? Because you've said a lot of women find that a weakness. If I'm angry enough to cry, I'm beyond the point of no return. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. when you need to run because my, my violent streak is about to come out. Like when mm-hmm. I'm shaking and I'm crying, you've pushed me way too far. Right. And not to blame yeah. anyone else for my emotions. I'm really good at controlling my emotions. I always have been, I'm an emotional mm-hmm. es- expert for that reason is because I know what creates my emotions. I know what creates yeah. my, my yeah. responses and my triggers and all of that. So I don't necessarily blame other people for my triggers, but if mm-hmm. I tell you, and, and you, if I pulled any one of my children and I have four, if I pulled any one of them into this room and said, what do I tell you when I'm angry? The first thing they're going to say is I'm angry. I don't want to say or do anything that I'm going to regret or that's going to hurt you. But if mm-hmm. you continue pushing me, I need a timeout. If you don't give me mm-hmm. that timeout, I'm going to say and do things and I'm not going to care who you are, or how much I love you. So you yeah. let me be right. And I pre-warn them. Now, if somebody pushes mm-hmm. me past that point, that's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? I know the difference between you intentionally pushing my buttons and you not intentionally pushing my buttons. Right. And that mm-hmm. is yes, my response is still my own, but if you are doing it to trigger that response, unfortunately, there gets to a point where I can't control whether you get that response or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very Um, true. Yeah. So that's why I laughed at the crying when angry, because that's that's your cue to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think I brought up the tears part a lot to do with the fact that, you know, if women cry in the boardroom and they, um, you know, they show emotion, especially in business, it's not so much in your personal life, but if you're showing it in business, all of a sudden people can start looking at you as being, you're weaker. They don't have as much respect for you. There's this sense of, oh, she can't handle it. She's not as strong as we need her to be as this leader. And when you're in a position of the C-suite, your CEO, you know, CFO, or you're a VP and you're going through this really traumatic grief event and your emotions are front and center, how often are we taught to just push them down and plow through it and be strong and don't, um, don't let them out. Like, don't let people see this weakness, right? Like emotions are targeted so often as being weak when really they're one of our biggest strengths. And if you embrace them, felt them, they wouldn't be something that controlled you anymore. 
you know, they would be something that would be your ally, something that would be a really great indicator to you as to where am I at with things? I'm really feeling this. I need to let it out. And then I can go forward in my life with really doing the things that I want to do with a clear head and a clear heart. And it does take time to get there though, right? It doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to sit in a room and cry and feel hundred percent better and life is good. It takes time and it's a process and, and, but it, it takes the desire to want to move forward and wanting to, you know, be a, be this person who can take on this strength and, you know, grief is really, really hard. Grief really sucks. It really does. And it's not an emotion that you want to feel. So we avoid it like crazy. But the funny thing is, is if you actually embraced it and allowed yourself to feel it, you would be able to move forward so much faster. And it wouldn't be something that was, yeah, it does make you stronger. It really, really does. You know, and it doesn't come down to the, the situation making you stronger. It's your control right? When you learn to control, control your emotions, control your reactions and your responses, that's what makes you feel in control. When you have the ability to control your situation, control how you feel, control what you do or what you say, how you express. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things you talked about grief and, and women and um, weakness. Emotions mm-hmm. are a vulnerability. They're not a weakness. They're vulnerable. No, they're not. When you show emotion, mm-hmm. you are vulnerable. You're not weak. You're not an underling. You're not. And that goes for men and women. If you look mm-hmm. at some of the most violent men in history, right? People who are in abusive relationships, men and women, um, mm-hmm. men are told, you know, emotions are for sissy, crying's for girls, mm-hmm. all of this, right? Because emotion is considered a weakness when it actually is right. vulnerability, right? It's you showing that you're vulnerable. Men, predominantly, when they've experienced a loss, it turns into anger. And that Mm -hmm. anger is their inability to express, vocalize, or engage in the vulnerability of being sad and grief and crying, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're taught not to do that. If a woman goes into a boardroom, anybody who deals with grief with anger and especially violent raging anger that is an ability to express that vulnerable vulnerable sadness right Mm -hmm. and that shows a lack of emotional knowledge and on the lack of emotional well-being right and Mm -hmm. and there's no confidence or control over those emotions right you just tear them down and and push them until you're like a lava right you're you're a volcano ready to explode that's what happens with the emotional health and well-being in grief is it'll it'll trick and trigger right a woman will give into the grief and cry because we are inherently it's easier for us to attach to that vulnerability and those emotions because we're taught to right? Mm-hmm. Women are emotional. Women are vulnerable. Women are, you know, sad saps. And I can't watch a movie without tearing up. Mm. Um, right. And that's, but I'm okay with that. Right. I laugh it off now for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. I will curse. And if, if I watch 911 or 911 Lone Star, I cannot go through an episode without crying by the end of it. Yeah. And my husband looks and he's just like laughing at me. And then other videos, he's, he's tearing up too. And I'm just like, ah, I'm not the only one. 
Um, but when we, it is, it is so powerful. And I love that you say empowered because I have the empowered warrior women's challenge. <laughs> so I love empowerment, but it is so it is life-changing when you have the control over those emotions, when you have the control mm -hmm. over your triggers and you know how to work through them, when right. you allow yourself to feel, you gain more control and people don't realize that that's mm -hmm. actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty incredible experience. It really is. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we get going? I would just like to say thank you <laughs> for having me here. But I would also encourage people out there who are experiencing grief to don't run from it. Don't be afraid of it. It's going to hurt. The honest thing is it's going to hurt, but it's better to go through it than try and avoid it because it's just going to it's going to keep coming up. It is going to keep coming up and it's going to show up in places that you really don't want it to. Um, so make the decision to, to be the one to take that first courageous step and feel it. Yeah. Let it in. Yeah. No, I completely so. agree. I love that you said that and you're welcome. I I'm yeah. <laughs> for having you here for having you here. <laughs> you did say I was like, no, I'm not being conceited. Um, <laughs> very rarely sometimes with yeah. certain things. Very rarely though. And nothing I'm sharing on here. Um yeah, grief is grief is horrendous. And again, I'd like to reiterate what we've said many times throughout this video. Don't please don't say that you know how somebody's feeling or that you, you know, you're, you've been in their situation. Everybody handles grief differently. Everybody processes grief differently. It doesn't matter the emotion, the time frame, the abilities, the capabilities, it doesn't matter. You aren't that person. And the number mm -hmm. one thing that you can do for somebody who is struggling through grief is to ask, what do you need from me, if anything, if you do ever need, I am here. If you need somebody to listen to, I am here. If you want somebody to bounce ideas off of, I am here. Whatever you need, I am here for you. And keep your emotions out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, Margaret. I really appreciated it. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Um, grief is something losing a child is something we don't talk about and it happens all the time there are so many things that the world should be talking about to make it acceptable to make it you know well versed and to teach people how to do it so grief is is a huge one and again i'm wholeheartedly appreciative that you decided to join me today and and go through that so thank you so much all right, just a family, remember that this episode is sponsored by Evolve Coaching, which just happens to be Margaret's company. She's offering you a complimentary 45-minute breakthrough uh, coaching session. Um, if you're feeling grief, if you're feeling lost, if you're feeling like you need some clarity, confidence, and courage to take the next step, please absolutely click that link and set that up. Uh, if you'd like to get a hold of either myself or Margaret, you can do so. Our links are in the description of this episode. 
Please like, follow, and share the show. Join our newsletter at justalivetv.com. If you would like to be a guest speaker or if you would like to see a topic featured on the show, please absolutely reach out. We are always looking for people to join our blog, our live stream, our mini episodes, as well as, again, just you know, giving, giving ideas of what you want to talk about because the show is called Giving You Something to Talk About. So let's start those conversations and keep them coming. I'm your host, Melissa Crutchler. I hope you have either a wonderful day, evening, or afternoon, depending on when you are watching and or listening. And I will see all of you on the next episode. Bye.